Well, good morning, church family. It's great to see you, man, and love worshiping with you guys every single week. It is a privilege today to come and share the word of the Lord with you, even having Pastor Jason here. By the way, he's the only one that gets to sleep during this message. Since he's been on that trip, everybody else, I'm going to be watching you. I'm joking. I'm joking. Hey, listen, uh, I know you don't know a whole lot about me. I thought I'd tell you a little bit about my family. So my wife and I are celebrating our 30th anniversary this August. Man, I need like a plaque or something. You know, I'm so... Listen, uh, over the years, though, we've gone through seasons. So our, our kids are in college now. We've gone through the years where like everybody's in diapers and growing up and those crazy seasons. We're in a season right now, though, that our kids are mainly out of the house. So it's kind of a different place for us at the house. And I get up each morning and I fix breakfast for my wife. I know. Come on. So here's what I fix, though, because I keep it really simple. Uh, it's not Pop-Tarts, but it's close. I can do one egg and one piece of bacon per person. That's what I can do. So, like, it's taken me some time to even, like, figure out how to do an egg. I don't know how many, you know, guys, if you've ever fixed an egg before, there's a little work you got to go through to figure it out. Now, it's not just the scramble or the cooking it over, you know, medium or easy or however you like it. Uh, so I typically do scramble just because that's the easiest way to do it. The hard one for me was to figure out how much seasoning to put on that egg. Pepper, now that's one thing. I like pepper. My wife does it. So normally I leave it out. The big one is salt. If you've ever used salt, salt's like powerful. So I've gotten to the place that I've cracked my egg. It's like sitting in the pan. It's ready to go. I haven't scrambled it yet. And like I pour salt all over that thing scramble it up and eat it. And if you've ever done that, you need like a gallon of water to wash that thing down because salt is overwhelming. And by the way, I've also tried it the other side where I just like sprinkle a little bit trying to figure it out. And then it's like so bland, like it's terrible. And then I have to add the seasoning later. So it's taking me, I know, sadly, years <laughs> to learn how to fix the eggs the way we both like them. So here's what I've done. In case you, you know, guys, if you ever want to fix an egg, here's what you can do. Ladies, y'all know what you're doing. So this is for the guys. So if you crack your egg, there's two parts to the egg when it's in the pan or the bowl. One part is the yolk. The other part is the white. Good. So you at least know what's in the egg. That's a good thing. So the yolk is a smaller part than the big part of the white. You'll see the white kind of spread around the pan. If you take salt and you just put salt covering only the yolk, not the whole thing, it'll balance out. And then you get to mix it up and you get to eat it. And it's not overwhelming. It's not too much. It is just... Right. Now, hopefully it won't take you years. I've given you the secret. That's what this sermon's all about. It was great having you. Y'all have a great week. <laughs> I'm joking. So there's this balance in life that we start to discover. Balance between the seasoning we put in things that we cook and practically even in life itself. You hear about balance all the time. Yin and yang. Y'all hear about that. If you've watched Boba Fett or any of the Star Wars stuff, you have the force and you have the dark side, right? So there's always this balance going back and forth. You have to balance between how much do I work versus how much do I play? How much exercise do I do versus how much free time do I want to take? How much do I spend with my friends versus how much do I spend alone? And even in conversation, like how much do I actually talk versus how much do I listen? There's always this constant balance that is happening in life. We've been talking about Jesus, and today Jesus actually deals with this balance in relationship with one another. He walks through what it means to have grace and truth live together in relationship. 
Now, most of us lean one way or the other. We either lean towards grace towards somebody or, or we lean towards truth. Uh, I have another illustration since my wife is here. By the way, she's down on the front. I know online you can't see that, but she's sitting down front. So I get to talk about her today. We went to a conference two weeks ago. We're in Florida. We're having a great time. We're sitting right beside each other. And if you've been going with us on the prayer journey, we fast every single Wednesday. So Wednesday, I'm fasting. If you don't know, when you fast, your body does strange things, like it gets rid of toxins and all kinds of stuff, and it can affect the way you are going through the day. So I'm sitting with my wife, we're hearing the great speaker up front, and of course, you know, she's the love of my life. We're whispering sweet nothings to one another, sitting there side by side. And, and so we get to this moment, and, and I just look at her, and she looks at me with this real intent look in her eyes, and I'm getting ready to, I know, hear the sweetest words from her lips. And she says, you need a piece of gum, your breath stinks. <laughs> 30 years of marriage, that happens. She was telling me truth. Now listen, I love her, she loves me. I needed to hear that, so that way when I talk to other people, if you come up afterwards, just be honest with me. I want to know. Okay, tell me my breath stinks. I'm, I get it. But some of you live in the line where, listen, you will tell others about the truth and their the breath stinks, and others of you, you will just deal with it until you die. So I want to see a show of hands. How many of you in here are the kind of people that would just live with it and never tell somebody else that they have it? Anybody like that in here? If you're online, you can just type it. I show grace in that moment. All right. So if they have the breath of death and they're sitting right beside you, don't tell them right now. But how many of you would tell them the truth? You can type it online as well. I would tell them the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see you. So most of you, most of you, especially if it's a friend, you would tell them truth. I get it. That's what good friends are for. So walking this line between grace and truth, we tend to lean towards one another. So what about Jesus? So here's the statement that I want you to learn about Jesus today, and we're going to see it in Scripture. Jesus led with overwhelming grace and just enough truth. Let me say that again, and you may want to write this down. Jesus led with overwhelming grace and just enough truth. All right. So where do you find that? In the Bible, I'm assuming, right? We talk about the Bible all the time, the Word of God, and that's absolutely true. We're going to learn about this characteristic of Jesus, and it's actually found in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, if you've got your phone, if you're at home, online, you want to type it in, look it up. We're going to start John chapter 1. John is actually the fourth uh, book of the New Testament. So we call those the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at this first chapter. By the way, if you've not read the Bible before, if, if you're online, you've never had a chance to hear, if you've never read it, I encourage you to start with the book of John. Just a powerful, powerful book. Great way to learn about who Jesus is on the journey. You ought to start there. So we're going to look at verse 14, but let me tell you a little bit about what's happening here. We learn about Jesus in this very first chapter, that Jesus is from the very beginning of time. Jesus doesn't just come at one moment. Jesus is actually with God the Father. It talks about that in John chapter 1. It even says that he, he has come in his fullness and his glory. And if you place your faith and trust in him, that he will allow you to become part of the family of God. Just an incredible passage talking about the wonderful person of who Jesus Christ is. And then we get down to verse 14 and John tells us a little bit more about who Jesus is. It describes him as the word here. So look with me at John chapter 1 starting at verse 14. And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of, and notice this, full of grace and truth. Now skip down to verse 16. For from, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. It actually continues. That's why it says it twice there, grace upon grace. 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what in the world are we learning here about Jesus? Well, there's this balance that we start to find out about the characteristic of who Jesus is. He has the fullness of grace and truth. Jesus, even though he led with overwhelming grace, doesn't mean that he's like 60% grace and 40% truth. It actually says he's full of both. He is 100% grace. He is 100% truth. He is completely balanced between the two. So what does it mean to have grace? So in the walk with Jesus, grace comes from what is called unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. To have something that you desire, to receive a merit for it, means you work for it. You earn it. But grace is not that way. Grace is unmerited. doesn't matter how much work you do. doesn't matter how much you try to perform to get it. Grace is given to you out of unmerited favor. Jesus actually shows that in his life. He gives us something that we do not deserve. The grace shown through the love of Jesus is the fact that he gave his life for you and for me. He, an infinite, almighty, powerful God, came to this earth in a finite form, humbled himself to live here on this earth for you and for me, and gave us what is called salvation. Salvation from what, you say? Well, the grace side is that he gave us something we, deserve, we didn't deserve in salvation. The truth of the matter is we have all sinned. The Bible talks about this. What in the world is sin? Well, sin just basically means we've rebelled against God. We have done things that dishonors who God is. We have all sinned, the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23. None of us get away from that. And there is a, a penalty that needs to be paid for that sin, and that sin penalty is called death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 tells us. So how is this payment made? Jesus, in all truth, comes and gives his life for each and every one of us, actually takes the debt that we should have paid, places it on his own shoulders, goes to the cross as the sacrifice and fulfillment for what God needed to do in the moment of rectifying the sin that was in our lives. So Jesus shows both full grace and full truth at the same time. There's another cool part that's in this passage. In verse 14, it says that we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father. When you see Jesus, when you read about him in the Scriptures, he is a reflection of God and his glory. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. When you see Jesus, you see God. God is full of glory and honor. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament talked about the powerfulness of the glory of God. It is so powerful. He is so holy. He is so other that people couldn't even enter his presence. He had to appear in, in special ways. Some of you may have read some in the Old Testament or heard stories or maybe watched the movies. But in the Old Testament, God actually appears in a burning bush, in a cloud of fire, in a variety of ways. And we learn in this passage here that God even came to Moses in the Old Testament and talked to him. Gave him the law, it says here, and we see grace and truth in Jesus. Well, where did that happen, you wonder? Well, it's actually in Exodus chapter 34. If you wouldn't mind turning your scriptures back to Exodus chapter 34, we're going to read it verses 5 through 7 there. In this moment in Exodus 34, we're starting to discover who God is, because if Jesus is full of grace and truth, shouldn't God be full of grace and truth as well? We often hear God as like the, the powerful ruler, the one that loves to smite people and kill them and bring judgment down upon them. We should see that part of who God is, but if he's full of grace, shouldn't we see that as well? And here God reveals himself to Moses 
He's actually telling him about uh, the, the law, the covenant. He's revealing that to him, and he appears to him in a cloud. That's what's ta- happening here in chapter 34 of Exodus. Look at the characteristic of God that we see, even see reflected in Jesus. Verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, talking about Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now, I want to pause there. The word Lord is capitalized. That's because it's the name Yahweh. He revealed himself personally to say, you should know my name. Yahweh, I am that I am. And then he says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, and notice how he describes himself, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, and so the third and the fourth generation to the third and fourth generation. So here we actually see grace and truth in the characteristic of who God is. God Almighty, infinite, powerful, almighty God. It describes him here. Recognize the the graciousness of who God is. The Lord in verse 6, a God that's merciful and gracious. How many times have you heard God described as that? He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's slow to anger and he keeps steadfast love for thousands. That's God's graciousness. But at the same time, God is a God of truth. In verse 7 it says that he has forgiven iniquity, transgression, and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty. You see, God recognizes that there is both grace that he wants to extend to those that follow him and obey him, but there's also the truth that we have all sinned and rebelled. We see the same characteristic in Jesus reflected in God the Father. They are both the same. When you see the glory of Jesus, you see the glory of God happening as well. Now, as God starts to proclaim who he is, this relational God that tells us his name and wants us to know him and build a relationship with him, he also describes in this characteristic something you might have missed there. It it actually says in verse 6, sorry, verse 7, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And some of you in your, your Bibles may actually have a note there that says love for thousands of generations, thousands and thousands of generations. He keeps his love. But at the end of verse 7, it says, but he visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. What in the world is he saying here? So God is saying, look, there's a difference of weight between truth and grace. I want to show you my grace. And when I do, it's going to be for thousands of generations. But truth is so heavy that it only extends to the third or fourth generation as he is holding those accountable for iniquity. That There's a balance that happens between the two, recognizing that one comes across heavier than the other does. I actually have an illustration for it. Uh, I know those of you in the room have been looking at it already. It's over here on the side, and I know online you haven't had a chance to see it yet. But up here I have this uh, nice piece of wood that our crew built for us. If you've ever been to a playground before, you recognize what this is. It's a seesaw. Any of you played on these before? You know, today it feels like they put like cages around them just to keep everybody protected. We used them as like catapults. How far can we throw somebody? But if I got on this thing, I always try to find somebody of same weight, right? You want to make sure it's balanced, that both sides are equal weight. But there's sometimes you, got, you find that guy out there that there's, or that girl, depending on who's with you, and they don't balance out. So then what happens? I actually have a friend of mine that's going to come up. So Jonathan, come on up, my friend. He's going to help me here. So as Jonathan's coming, 
you, you can automatically begin to know that as I got on the seesaw. Hi, Jonathan. <laughs> you are quick. Jonathan ran up from our, our seat down below. So Jonathan and I are going to play a little bit on the seesaw, yeah? I'm not going to launch you, I promise. It's not that far. <laughs> All right, so, so Jonathan, why don't you get on that side? You weigh different than I do. Let's see what happens. I know it's obvious, but you, you go ahead and go down. Okay, if I put my weight on it, poor Jonathan, man. All right, come on, take me down, take me down. All right, wait, maybe if I jump. You ready? Let me jump. Here we go. Let's see if we go. <laughs> we should have spent like hours doing this, man. It would be great. So you can already tell, I weigh more than Jonathan. So Jonathan's doing the best he can, but no matter what he does, he cannot make me go down in this moment. I weigh more than he does. But there's a way that we can balance each other out. So hold it up, Jonathan. You got it? Okay. If not, it would be painful. So let's see now. All right, let me find it. And if I move forward, I shorten my side because I weigh more. All of a sudden, we're able to balance each other out. We can find where this middle matches up. Y'all can just keep going, man. This is great. We'll just stay here the rest of the day. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> but we're able to find the point that we can balance between each other. I am heavier, much like truth in life. Jonathan is lighter, much like grace in life. And even though we can balance each other, it takes it a little different. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate you, man. Good job, bro. Give me a hand. I know. You can head on back down. Yeah, he's telling me next time put a cushion up here. Neither one of us have a lot, so it's okay. You get the point. So in order for one that is heavier to balance out with one that is not as heavy, truth compared to grace you have to be able to balance the two and give less. It takes a mountain of grace before you're ready to share a nugget of truth. That's what Jesus teaches us. Actually, there's a great story about Jesus exemplifying this very, very thing that we've been talking about. It's found also in the book of John. So once again, if you wouldn't mind, turn back to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 1. John chapter 8, verse 1 Actually, I'll read the last verse of verse 7 just because it makes it a complete sentence there for you. But John chapter 8, Jesus has been going through the festivals. He's been going to the temple. He's been teaching over and over again. The Pharisees continue to challenge him. If any of you watch The Chosen, like the story of Nicodemus, you'll see Nicodemus in chapter 7. The other Pharisees are coming up trying to get Jesus trapped. You'll see that happening over and over and over again. And they're still trying to do it in chapter 8. They're trying to trap Jesus, these people called scribes and Pharisees. I want you to pick up here what's happening. Starting in verse 53 is chapter 7. They went, to each, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, remember the laws we talked about earlier, it commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? And, of course, this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down in that moment and wrote with his finger on the ground. So you see what's happening here. These Pharisees are actually, they're the experts of the law. They're not like just the lawyer. They're the teacher of the lawyers. 
So they know the law to the nth degree. And they're trying to catch Jesus. It even says here to test him in this moment. To get him in a moment where he's caught between truth of the law and the thing that he's been preaching over and over again, which is grace. They've watched him over and again share the hope of who God is, the, the love that has come from the Father through Jesus, this characteristic between the two. And now they've trapped him. So they bring this woman out. She's been called in adultery. They lay her down before her, and they're going, look, the law says she should be stoned. And actually, out of all the laws that were added, she should have been stoned based on the law. She was caught in the sin. She was caught in adultery. And just on the law alone, she deserved death. And then they start to wait and see what Jesus is going to do. Now, you need to know, in the moment of these Pharisees trying to catch Jesus, they're forgetting the characteristic of this gracious God that they're serving. They end up using these laws to bring glory and honor to themselves, to make themselves better. And as they begin to share this truth, they're trying to show we are better than you, Jesus. We've got you trapped, and we're going to prove you wrong. And man, Jesus brings a zinger. Look at what his response is, continuing in verse 7. It says, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said this to them. And it's a good one. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. Man, if there was a mic drop moment, that would have been it right there. And once more he bent down and began to write on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. They knew they were caught. And Jesus was left alone with this woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. I love what he does here in this story. So he's getting ready to be trapped. He sees these Pharisees coming to share the law, to, to share the truth of what happened. And to be honest, like I said, they, they should have followed the law. That's what it was about. But Jesus stops in the midst of it and goes, look, if you've sinned, you be the first one to throw the stone. If you've sinned, you be the first one to throw the stone. If you, and then if you'll notice here, from the oldest down to the youngest, they begin to leave one by one by one. Why does this happen? Jesus tells us in John 2, 25, that he already knows what's in the heart of man. He knows what man is dealing with. So he knows the sin that's in the Pharisee's heart. He knows the sin that's in this woman's heart as well. And in this moment, he tells them and he gets them in a trap to where their uh, intentions are absolutely shown to everybody and they can't stand before him. They all leave. And then I love what Jesus does next. He looks at that woman and he just says, who condemns you? By the way, Jesus was sinless. He could have cast the first stone, but he didn't. And he recognizes the heart and love of what this woman is dealing with in that moment. She knew. She knew she was a sinner. Did you notice here that when he came and said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said a, a very powerful phrase. She said, no one. And she didn't say sir. She said, no one, Lord. She recognized Jesus as Lord in that moment. She recognized as a sinner. She needed a savior. And Jesus was that savior. Jesus could see her heart. And when that happened, he brought overwhelming grace to her. He actually could have let out and said, yeah, yeah, you're a sinner. I get it. But he didn't. The very first thing he says is, I don't condemn you. You've called me Lord. Let's start there. So I don't condemn you. And then he says, go and sin no more. So he called the sin out. The truth was still there. He had the balance of both. 
He didn't leave out truth at all. He recognized sin in this moment. Sin was happening, and he still said to the woman, look, I know, but when you call me Lord, I come in, and I bring grace, and I bring love, and I bring forgiveness. Go and sin no more. As Jesus began to walk with each and every one of us, and we start learning more about his characteristic and how he loves us and goes on the journey with us, you need to recognize there is overwhelming power in sharing truth with someone. You should be cautious about the times that you share it, but it doesn't mean never share truth. It just means in order to reflect who Jesus is, his characteristic, the way he lives every single day, you need to come in and be ready to share the love and grace of Jesus so you can be prepared to share the truth when it comes. I have a, a good friend of mine that's here today, and some years ago we got to meet each other. His name's David. We actually got to meet each other in a, a playground at a school. So our kids were young, and we were in elementary, they were in elementary school. Our kids were the same age. So if it was like field day, PTA, our wives worked together on the PTA. They got to know each other really well. Matter of fact, I think I called him Steve for the first little while and finally got to know him as David after that. So David and I uh, started this journey together. And even as we began to talk about his life and my life, uh, I could see he was not following after Jesus in his life. He really didn't know what that meant. Uh, he was at a workplace where actually he, he went and took people out to party with them in order to help build business together. So there were struggles in his life from uh, dealing with alcohol to just his relationship with his wife to a relationship with children. Things were beginning to fall apart. And then he finds out I'm a pastor. And of course, in, in dealing with the pastor, you know, for those of you that have talked with the pastor before, I know Pastor Jason has shared this, you know, you got to decide when do I cuss or not cuss and where do I drink and not drink. So we had to walk through all of that in the beginning of our relationship, learning what it means to become friends. So immediately at the beginning, I, I had the choice of just going straight to him and saying, hey, David, you don't know Jesus. Here are the things you're doing wrong in your life. You should get right and get with Jesus. Because I knew all that was happening. But instead, I wanted to show him I want to be your friend. I want to get to know you and love your family and walk you on a journey to who Jesus is. Well, he started hitting some really, really tough times. His dad passed away. He didn't have a close minister in his life, so he calls and says, hey, man, would you, would you do my dad's funeral? And even through the funeral, having a chance to, to share about the goodness of who Jesus is, but David's still not ready to hear it at that moment. We just keep walking on, and he has another family member that passes away not too long after that. And so things start to pile up and get worse and worse at home. And then they are such lovers of animals and pets. They have pets all over their house, and they had this beautiful dog. And of all things, on top of everything that was going on, their dog passed away. It got heavy. And David began to spiral down trying to figure out what all was going on in his life and dealing with all the struggles and issues and his family is falling apart. His work is struggling. He's going, what now? Man, even my dog has passed away. So they end up taking their dog, putting him out in the backyard, covering up with a blanket and leaving him there. And David, it was a Friday, David ends up just leaving and going to work. So my wife finds out about this. Uh, she actually talks to Kelly, the, David's wife, and they talk about what's happening out back. She can't go out. She's a wreck in this moment as well. It's hot outside, humid. And so I tell my wife, think I'm supposed to go bury the dog. So I get a shovel. I go to their house in their backyard, not a little dog, a big dog, and spend several hours digging a hole, burying their dog for them in the backyard, covering it back up, and go back home. Covered with mud, 
but I feel like the Spirit's prompting me to, to show the love of Jesus. David comes home, can't figure out what, why in the world would you do something like this, Jim? He keeps asking me. So why would somebody come over? I mean, good grief, you're a pastor, you're never supposed to do stuff like this, and yet you come and bury my dog. Why would you do this? And it was after that moment of just sharing the love and grace of Jesus, I got to actually talk to David about what it means to follow after Jesus and to give his life to him. David goes on a journey where he begins to search the Lord himself, begins to read, dives into scriptures, starts to open up other books that are challenging towards following after Jesus, and David chooses to give his life to Christ. And he's here today. David, man, love it, brother. David tells me all the time, Jim, if you would have started with truth, if you'd have told me all the things I was doing wrong, I knew what I was doing wrong. I knew that I wasn't following Jesus. I knew that things were wrong in my life. I knew something was off. If you'd have told me that from the very beginning, I would have never heard the gospel. It took overwhelming grace and just the right amount of truth for him to be ready to hear the gospel. So do we ever share the truth? Yes. When do we share the truth? When the Spirit leads that's when you share the truth. If you do it, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all imperfect in this place. If you go to just share truth straight out, you're going to do it in order to make yourself look better and for that other person to look worse. That's with the wrong heart, same just like the Pharisees. Jesus tells us in John 16, 13, that the Spirit will come and the Spirit will guide you into all truth. After you've had a chance to share the grace and love of Jesus, when the Spirit prompts, you'll be ready to bring glory to the Father. If you've never shared truth with somebody and you've only shown grace, the characteristic is still true for both. Jesus didn't back away from sin. Jesus still called it out, but he did it after showing overwhelming grace. So where are you today? Are you at a place that you've begun to hear this story about who Jesus is and, and maybe in your own life and journey, you, you started to realize, I, I've only been told truth in my life. I don't know about this grace that I'm hearing about. Nobody's ever shared with me the love and hope of who Jesus is. If that's the case, then I would say to you today, come and submit yourself before Jesus. Discover the graciousness, the love of who God is and what Jesus has done for you. Jesus gave his all for you. You're a sinner. You know that. Nobody has to tell you that. You already know it. Maybe you didn't even know why you came here today. It wasn't to point out the sin in your life. It was to point you to a God that loves you, a God that sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for all the things that you have done wrong. And not to stay dead, but to be raised in three days later. We celebrate that in Easter coming up so that you can find life, so that you can become a part of the family of God and discover the hope that is in Jesus. In just a moment, we're going to have pastors down front. And maybe for the first time today, you're discovering the grace found in Jesus. You want to come and tell one of these pastors, I'm ready just like that woman to say, Jesus, be my Lord. I'm tired of this stuff. I'm ready to surrender all to you. They'll be down front here. They would love to walk you through what it means to know Jesus. Even Pastor Jason shared earlier about being baptized. If you want to express what it means to have your life changed, your heart's already been changed through baptism, come and share with one of these pastors. But I know there's many of you here today that you're followers of Jesus. Maybe for those of you that are at home. You've been followers of Jesus, but you've struggled with sharing truth all the time. You've not had a chance to walk with somebody and share grace. Is the Lord bringing conviction this morning? Is it time to say to him, I'm sorry? I'm sorry that I've only been a truth person and never shared the grace and the hope found in Jesus.
So the altar is going to be open in just a moment. You can come down here and express that to the Lord. Confess your sin to him. Begin to find the rightness and ask the Holy Spirit to show you when it's right to share. Maybe you're on the other side. And all you've done is share grace, but you've never shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Tell the Lord, I've got a friend. I need to share the truth of who Jesus is. I sense the Spirit telling me that. You can come, pray. And then lastly, you know we've been doing this week after week, but some of you today, you're hurting. You just need somebody to pray over you. Maybe there's a physical healing that you need. We'll have oil here as pastors and we'd love to pray over you as well. You respond before the Lord today. Would you stand? Our pastor's going to come forward. As you're standing, we're going to sing the song, Lord, I need you. After we've sung, surrendering before the Lord, Pastor Jason's going to come and lead us in the Lord's Supper together. This is your time to respond. This is your time to come and share. This is your time to confess, to say, I'm ready, God. Open my life to the graciousness of who you are and the truth of who the gospel is. You come and respond as we sing together.